years are gone and I'm not so self-assured Finally found I changed my mind Opened up the door Help me if you can I'm feeling down And I do feel the same way here Help me get my feet back on the ground Won't you please please help me Jesus we need you we love you any believers in the house this morning right here Sure. I finally found, changed my mind, opened up the door. Help me if you can, I feel it down. And I do appreciate you being around Jesus. You gotta give him a clap, that's worthy of his name. Hallelujah. Thank God for the psalmist Lennon and McCartney. Because I don't know about you, but I've been singing that song of late. And I don't know how many times the words of that song has epitomized my prayer life. Um, when I feel so hurt. 
I can't vocalize my pain. I can just say help. When I feel so failed that I can't accept the fact that Jesus still loves me, we've got that powerful prayer encapsulated in one word, help. Anybody relating to what I'm saying right here? And when I feel so lost, I can't even put two words together to express how I feel. I cry help. And I just know I've been praying about this morning service. And I, as I've been praying for you this morning, when I, like Dave was, was talking about the fact that God wants to wash away stuff. And I just feel I've heard the cry of many in this place this morning. And I think that song epitomizes exactly how you feel. I want to tell you something right now. God did not send Jesus into the world to make bad people good. He sent Jesus into the world to help lost people find their way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And really, you know, I just feel this morning there are many in the house and you've just lost your way. You've just lost your way. And uh, you, you may have been a believer for many years, but something has happened and you've just lost your way. You know, I, I get really inspired, not only by scripture, I get inspired with everything. How many of you know just got to walk around with your antenna up because God can speak to you through the instructions on a box of tikka masala he can give you revelation come on I don't know about you and for me when I go to the movies I love going to the movies and I remember watching a movie a Star Trek movie it was brilliant and I'm watching this and uh, the, the gist of the story was there was this massive energy cloud racing across the universe. It was angry, it was frustrated, it was empty, it was searching, and it was eating up galaxies and planets. And so they sent for Captain Kirk and the Enterprise team. And long story short, they got right inside this energy cloud. I mean, it was, it was angry, frustrated. It was, and they got right inside the cloud. And in the center of the cloud, they found a, a big crater. And in the center of the crater, there was like a machine. And it seemed as if all the frustration and anger and, and uh, was coming from this machine. So Captain Kirk got up there with Spock. And uh, people say, I look a bit like Captain Kirk. But anyway, he was up there. Someone shouted out when I said that. No, you look more like Spock, mate. Anyway, so, so they got up to the... Uh, and, um, and they found out that the machine was actually a NASA probe that had been sent into the universe hundreds of years ago. This is not a true story. It's a film, okay? So they sent this thing out uh, hundreds of years ago and it had malfunctioned. And it was searching for its creator. That was the reason for the frustration. That was the reason for the searching. That was the reason for the discontentment. It was searching for its creator. 
So Captain Spock, they, uh, Captain Kirk, they rubbed off the dust and they found a, a little message on the side of the, of the probe. It said, if found malfunctioned, press in this code. So they pressed in the code. Doot, doot, doot. Was that you, Spock? No, it was the machine. So he pressed in the code. It was a joke. He pressed in the code. Watch this. If found malfunction, press in the code. Pressed in the code and we know how many? Sorted. So that's who I am. So that's where I'm from. And all the frustration and all the searching and all the anger. That is what's going to happen to you this morning in this house. You know why? Because God has sent this little hobbit from the Shire to punch in the code. Here's the code. For all you that are searching, here's the code. 4316. The fourth gospel, the third chapter, and the 16th verse says, For God so loved the world that whosoever allows him to punch in the code, the Bible calls it believe, this will happen. And I believe this morning there are people who are searching, who am I, where am I, what is life all about? I believe that right now you are ready to allow Jesus to punch in the code and that frustration and that sense of who am I and that sense of emptiness, this is what will happen. Come on somebody, say amen right here. I want you to bow your head right now. Because uh, before I go any further, I believe there are people here. And you say, Ray, don't preach anymore. I want Jesus to punch in the code. I relate to that story. I can relate to it. And so all I'm going to do is this, right? Jesus says, if you're wondering who you are, you're wondering what life is all about, you can't understand stuff, there's an emptiness inside, you're actually searching for your creator and God sent Jesus into the world. He is the code. And if you believe, all you've got to do is say, is say a prayer like this in your heart. Jesus, that's me. I believe you loved me, died for me, please Come into my life now. And do you know what I'm going to do before I go any further? I'm going to count to three. And I'm going to ask if anybody prayed that prayer or wants to do that. All I'm going to ask you to do is raise your right hand very quickly. Then put it down again. I'm not going to call you forward. Not going to embarrass you. But I want you to do something so that you know on this morning, on St. David's Day, March the 1st, I ended my search. I found Jesus. So very quickly, once I count to three, just put your hand up, put it down again. I'll see it and I'll pray for you. One, two, three. Lift it up. Keep it up. Hands everywhere. Hands going up everywhere. Father, you see these hands right here? Right now, you are punching in the code. Their the search is over. 
Thank you, Lord. I give you praise. Come on. Let's give Jesus a big clap in the house right here. <laughs> Just wanted to sort that out. But you know what happens? Very often, even if you've been a believer for, for many, many years, we can lose our way. Can I ask you this question this morning? Some of you say, Ray, I can relate to that. And I remember receiving Jesus years ago, but I've lost my way. What is it that has caused you to malfunction as a Christian? I mean, there was a time when you were on course, your life had purpose, you had a dream, your spirit had a home. But somehow you've malfunctioned, a betrayal, a heartbreak, a tragedy, a bad decision. But the one thing I fear God wants to focus on this morning is some of you, some of you have malfunctioned as a believer because you've committed a sin you never thought you'd commit. You've made a decision against everything you believe. You, you've, you've, you've done something, said something, and right now because of that, there's been like a malfunction and, and, you're, and you're searching and you think God's rejected you. You've made a decision against your conviction. That was the word I had. You've made a decision as a believer against everything you believe. How could I have said that? How could I have done that? How could I have gone there? And here you are, and the enemy's jumped on your back, and he's pointed the finger at you, and he says, there's no hope for you. Well, I got some great news for you because you're going to find your home again this morning. Come on, somebody say amen right here. The Father's going to run to you. And you know what I'm thinking about Peter? I just love Peter. The disciple, I relate to him because I've made as many mistakes and more than he did. And don't look at me so holy, so of you, you know what I'm saying? And here they were in the upper room. Hey, uh, Jesus about to go into the Garden of Gethsemane and die on the cross. And here he was with the material to change the world. 12 of them were well, 11 of them because the other one had he'd gone so here they are 11 and in the upper room and they, they just had the, the last supper and I'm going to pick it up from Matthew chapter 26 if you're still with me say amen right here it's good to be home by the way I say I don't work out you know no this is just natural <laughs> I was saying, uh, I've got a friend of mine in Africa uh, at Boshoff. He's got a church of 60,000. I'll be there in a couple of weeks. And he's got, he's got muscles on his teeth. He's got arms like my flipping waist. And I'm preaching there once and I said, Church, you see your pastor here? All the muscles? I said, That's synthetic, that. I said, This is organic. <laughs> anyway. Just if you were wondering if I work out, I don't. This is just natural. So Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Watch this. So then they sang a hymn. Never, never 
underestimate any line when Jesus went in the Bible. And they sang a hymn. You know, many commentators believe the hymn they sang before they left the upper room for Jesus' betrayal and crucifixion was Psalm 136. It's got 26 verses, and in every single verse it says, And his love endures forever. Why was he singing that hymn? Because this bunch of wazaks are going to need it right in a minute. Watch this. Then they sang a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives. On the way, Jesus was encouraging his team. He was about to build them up. He was about to, you know, sort of encourage and empower these world shakers. So he said, on the way, he said, tonight, all of you will desert me. Cheer up. For the scripture says, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Oh, but after I've been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and I'll meet you there. He sang the hymn, my love will endure forever. And then he says, after you fail... I'm going to go ahead of you in spite of your upcoming disloyalty, in spite of your hypocrisy, in spite of your sin, in spite of your failure. I'm still going to lead you. I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to go ahead of you. Come on, somebody say amen right here. But Peter declared, now Peter, now's the time to shut it. But Peter, he was offended. Peter was deeply offended that the Lord would think his love was that shallow. But Peter declared, even if everyone, freedom, even if everyone deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, Peter, Peter, I tell you the truth, mate. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me the depth of love you thought you had for me. You're going to discover something, Peter, that you need to discover if you want to enjoy my love and grace. He says, you're going to deny me three times that you ever knew me. Peter, now's the time to check out, bro. Peter insisted. That's where I love him. He's an absolute wazak. I mean, there were times, but Peter insisted. Watch this now. Peter insisted. Even, even if I have to die, I will never deny you. And all the disciples said, and so say all of us, hey. So they, they are going like, yeah, no, oh, ha, ha. And we can, you know, we can look at Peter's denial. And we can look at the disciples and we can stand in our little pedestals. We can stand in our little religious bubble and say, if I was there, oh really? Hey, listen, we, we can't judge these guys. You know why? Because we've all been there. Come on, somebody. We've all been there and we all need a personal revelation of grace because without it, none of us would make it. Come 
more, man. And when we realize that, this will stop. Jesus didn't die like this. He died like this. And he was teaching them, if Jesus hadn't allowed Peter to fail, Peter would never have understood the power of the grace of God and the love of Jesus. You see, the grace of God is not given to make life perfect. It's to perfect you when it isn't. The grace of God is not given so that life works out according to our plans. It's given to sustain us when they don't. The grace of God is not given to ensure that all our relationships work out. But the grace of God is given to heal our broken hearts when they don't. Come on somebody, am I speaking to the right people here? grace of God is not experienced when the potter places the pot in the window to display. The grace of God is, dis- is, is seen when we are marred in the potter's hands. In the potter's hands. And some of you have been marred in the potter's hands. The potter is God. The clay is you. And he's molding your destiny. But even in The potter's hands, when you are serving him, when you are praising him, when you are loving him, when you are walking in destiny, bam! What's happened to the clay? But God doesn't take the clay and say, man, useless. I started it, didn't work out, off. No, you will still stay on the potter's wheel of destiny as messed up as, as it is, as disfigured as it is, and God will say, ha, no problem, I'll just form, I'll just keep on making, I'll just keep on building until I finish what I've started in this clay. Come on, somebody, you better, you better believe it. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it's not about your faithfulness to Him. That will keep you. It's all about His faithfulness to us. And that's what Peter had to learn. Man, I'm preaching myself happy. I'm going to, if there was a trapezia, I'd be on it. You know what I'm saying? The grace of God works best when our dreams of best are destroyed. That family, that family member died even after your confession was declared. Every faith confession declared. That co-worker betrayed you even after years of mentoring. Your spouse left you. You lost your job. Your reputation was slandered. And your friends believed it. That's a killer. But like Peter, perhaps the worst of all is the discovery of the traitor hiding in your heart. We never realized was there. I'm only talking about myself because you are perfect, you lot. You're all so holy. I've heard about the King's Church. (laughs) Me and Dave, we meet for breakfast like once a week. We spend hours... No, we we depress each other, then lift each other up. (laughs) 
Here's the, if you want the title of the message, is this, am I going in there? Am I scratching where somebody's itching here? Here's the question. What do you do when the rooster crows for you? Oh, we can, oh, oh, look what happened to them. They should have known better. How could they do that? How could she do that? And here we are on our pedestal of self-righteousness and position of strength until the same thing happens to you. So do you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to judge yourself the way you judge them. That is not a nice place to be. I've been there many times until finally I'm beginning at 35 years of age, I'm beginning to learn. What? Who said amen then? Thank you, love. Do you know what amen means? So let it be. 35. Suck it up. So, <laughs> oh, it's good to be home. I can't be like this anywhere else. You know what I'm saying? I can even swear here. It's fine. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, well, Dave prophesied it. It's about time we all had a wash or a fresh shower in the unconditional love and grace of God. It's about time. So like Peter, perhaps the worst of all, what do you do when the rooster crows for you and the rooster has? That's why I sang that song. You can't pray scriptures because you don't feel worthy enough to pray the scriptures. So you say, help! Jesus loves a prayer like that. You know why? Because there's no trace of self-righteousness in a prayer like that at all. He loves to be needed. He loves it when you ask him for stuff. <laughs> Yabba dabba do. Oh man. Okay, well, let's find out what happened to Peter, shall we? Are you okay here? There's nothing on the telly. We can't go anywhere because of the flipping marathon. It took me ages to get you. I, don't, I tell you one thing, I don't know Newport. They said, detour there, do there. Oh, I was ended up in Sainsbury, wherever I was. Anyway, watch this. Luke chapter 22. The guards lit the fire. We all know what happened to Peter. The guards lit the fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. These are the people that, that were about to scourge Jesus to the point of death and then crucify him. So the guards sat around the fire... And Peter joined them there. I think you could call that backslidden, could you? Really? I think you could call a change of camp. I'll die for you! Now we sat around a fire with the very people that were about to kill his Lord. So a servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Listen to me carefully. When a kid starts staring at you, you're in trouble. <laughs> I heard of a pastor once, he went to visit one of his flock and all the sheep said. So he went to visit one of his flock. It's <laughs> still the same. He went, to, he went to visit one of his flock, right? This pastor and he's talking to this woman. And this kid, this five-year-old kid, just started walk, he was walking around him like this, looking at him, staring at him. 
And the pastor said, why are you staring at me, little girl? Well, my mother said you had two faces. I can only see one. Anyway, so when a kid, when a kid, <laughs> when a kid starts staring at you, you're in trouble. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's lovely to have my granddaughter here this morning. Little Eva, she's sitting in the back. I don't want to embarrass her, she loves it. But some of you... <laughs> Some of you remember the story I told you years ago when, when she, made, she threw magic dust on me from Tinkerbell and made me 30. Remember that story? Yes, it's, she's known all over the world now. Everybody wants to meet Eva because they want the magic dust as well on them. <clears throat> so, so uh, you know, that's why I, I say I'm, th I'm 35. It's like five years ago. But I'm driving her to school last year and she's staring at me. I said, when a kid stares, I said, what are you looking at me for, Eva? Bamper, I think it's wearing off. <laughs> and the kids, and said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter, now watch this. First of all, he denied the accusation that Jesus made that he would deny him. Now he's denying a different deal. And he denied it after a while. Someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, I'm, I'm not. And one translation says, and he said it with a vow. In other words, on my mother's life. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And at that moment, oh, and at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind before the rooster crows tomorrow, you'll deny me three times. Watch this, I'll explain this in a minute. Peter misinterpreted that look. You see, Peter thought it was a look of condemnation. Now, do you know what it was? See, you ought to remember the hymn they sang. You ought to remember what he said, I'm going ahead of you. Do you know what? No, it wasn't a look of condemnation. It was a look, watch this. Jesus turned and says, Peter, the look said, I got this. Come on. And Jesus looks at you and says, hey, I know you feel like a wazak. I know the traitor in your heart has been exposed. But I knew that before it happened. Your mistake has not taken me by surprise. I got this. Anybody, anybody say amen right here. I got this. And this is, this is the phrase that really caught hold of me. Oh, great. I've only got an hour and a half left. Listen. Now we're going to wind this up. Watch this. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. How could I have done that? How and you know, when I read that phrase, this is not just shedding tears of remorse. This is not just, oh, well, I made a mistake. Uh, God will cover it. This is weeping bitterly. This is inconsolable grief. This is shame with no hope of relief. This is a guilty heart awaiting 
judgment. These were not tears that said, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I'll do better next time. These were tears that shouted, there is no next time for you. But probably the worst feeling of all was the belief that he'd been rejected by Jesus and it would never be the same again because, watch, he surrendered against his convictions. What sin have you committed against your convictions? You feel disqualified from forgiveness. What decision have you made against your conviction that's convinced you God's done with you? Who have you betrayed? Who have you hurt against your conviction that causes you to believe that even God can't look at you with love anymore? And that's where some of you are right now, like Peter. You made a declaration of loyalty, then discovered the traitor lurking in your heart. And now you're devastated because the rooster was called for you and you don't know what to do. And you've experienced the look. I don't know about you, but the rooster has crowed for me a few times. So I'm speaking to you from experience, not just from the word here. That genuine love you thought you had for Jesus in reality because you surrendered against your convictions morally, relationally, biblically, it simply revealed how shallow and imperfect that love really is. Your love for him is not what you thought it was. Hmm. It's a devastating discovery, isn't it? And you too, like Peter, have experienced the look and you don't know what you have to do to be accepted by God again. You've malfunctioned. You're lost. You're frustrated. You don't know how to get back. Well, get ready. Because the whole purpose God arranged for me to be here is to tell people whom the rooster has crowed and you're in a place and you're weeping bitterly and you think, how on earth can I get back? Now I am on plan B for my life. Well, do you know what? If that's the case, I'm on plan Y, sixth alphabet. God has only one plan for your life. That is plan A. And come hell or high water, he will finish it. I need some help in this place right here. You've malfunctioned. Listen, get ready. Get your iPad, MP346, whatever you call these things that you put your notes on. I'm going to give you, how many of you want to know how to get back? Come on, somebody say amen. Right? Well, here it is. Here it is. You are not, what I'm about to say will change your life. Write these things down. And because this, this is the way. Here we, are you ready for this? This is what you're going to do to get back. Nothing. Because Jesus has paid the price for all your sin, past, present, and future. You need to give Jesus a big clap in this house right here. Come on, somebody! You are already for. Do you think Jesus says, I know what's going to happen? I know about the divorce. I know about the betrayal. I know about the sin that you're about to commit. 
But I'm in your life and I'm never going to leave you and I'm never going to forsake you and I've gone ahead of you to make sure you finish your course. Jesus. He's already gone ahead of you to plan your restoration. (laughs) Peter's failure and unfaithfulness was not a surprise to Jesus and neither is yours. I'm about to make a statement right here. Restoration is not about the sacrifice we make. It's about the sacrifice we trust. There is nothing you can do to get back into favor with God. You know why? Because you never lost it. Because he never left you. Because he's still planning your future. Come on, somebody say amen right here. And I'm going to make this another statement here. True repentance. I believe in repentance. You want to get, you want to come tonight. God's give me a word tonight. You need, you, you just, you know, it's nothing on the TV. You can record it these days. You know what I mean? It's not the end of the world. Get back here tonight. But you know what? Watch this. True repentance, new covenant repentance, finds its effectiveness in trusting his sacrifice, not yours. Hmm. And so they took Jesus. Watch this. They took Jesus and they scourged him. We've all seen the passion of the Christ. It's not even close to what he suffered. So they, what they used to do, right? The, the scourger, who was a professional at his trade, Piece of wood, 12 strands of leather. Piece of bone, piece of rock, piece of metal in each strand. 39 times on Jesus' back. That's over 1,000 marks. That's how much he wants you healed. Because with his stripes, we are healed. That's how much he wants you healed and whole. Uh, And the scourger, history tells us that the scourger would stand in front of the victim. Not behind. Because many of the people about to be crucified would die at the scourging post where the law demanded they, they die on the cross. So the scourger would stand in front, uh, uh, you know, he was, he was skilled at his trade, would stand in front of the victim and if they saw life leaving the eyes, then they would back off and realize, no, they have to die on the cross. I believe this. They did something strange in, the, in Luke. It says, in the book of Luke, it says, when they were scourging Jesus, they blindfolded him. Why would you blindfold a prisoner being scourged? I tend to believe this. As that scourger looked at Jesus' eyes with all the hate in his eyes, he couldn't stand the gaze of compassion that looked back at him. Cover the eyes. Cover the eyes. Peter wished he'd had a blindfold. Cover the eyes. But Peter misinterpreted the look. Please don't misinterpret the look. It's a look of love. It's a look of grace. And it's a look of, I got this. I'm nearly through. Um, You know, he's always been ahead of your failure. (laughs) He's always been ahead of your sin. He's always been there. He simply wants you to know that. And I remember, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to 
try and wrap this up here. Have you received God's word today? I've just got one more scripture for you. Um, I, was, uh, I was sitting, I think Dave was preaching once here. Uh, it was a Tuesday night. And, uh, uh, and the scripture that he was using was, was this one. Uh, Hebrews 6, if you can put that scripture up on the, on the screen. Hebrews chapter 6, and it was verse 19 to 20. Do we have it there? Be great. There we are. Watch this. And, 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 and God showed me something. And you, some of you need to see this. Okay? Um, so this hope we have is talking about when Jesus comes into your life, it's called salvation. Okay? And it doesn't say this hope we, we hope to have. We have it. This hope we have, watch this, as an anchor to the soul. Both sure and steadfast and which enters the presence behind the veil. He's talking about the temple in heaven, okay, the real one, okay. The forerunner, where the forerunner has entered for us. Even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And that first grabbed hold of me, and I saw something that night. There are two words in there that have nautical implications. We know the first one, anchor. But there's another one, forerunner. It says Jesus is our forerunner. An anchor. And I did a little bit of research, and I discovered that in those days... Um, Sometimes when a ship would come into the harbor, the harbor was so small, it couldn't negotiate, like large ships couldn't negotiate. So there was a guy on the ship called the forerunner. And his job was to put the anchor in a small boat and row ashore and anchor the, the ship on dry ground and then slowly winch the ship in. The Bible says, Jesus is our forerunner. He has gone into the very presence of God. He has anchored our salvation on the eternal character of God. And whether you feel like it or not, whether you fail or not, whether you sin or not, if Jesus is living in your life day by day, he is winching you in until one day you will get to heaven. So, so then I saw this illustration. I want to introduce Jesus to you. Jesus, could you come up here, please? Yeah, Jesus is sleeping then. Uh, you never knew that Jesus was from Newport, did you? But here he is. Come on, let's give Noel a big clap right here. This is what I saw, right? Thank you, Noel. Are you all right, man? Yeah, great. Yeah. Um, grab, you grab the... All right. Uh, yeah, you grab the other end of it. When Dave was preaching, just try and keep it taut, all right? Do you know what taut is? That's it. That's, yeah, great. Yeah, we've got to check. You know what I mean? You've been to Bible school, but anyway. So watch this. So watch this. So, G, so, so this is salvation, okay? Jesus is in heaven right now, and he's anchored it. Watch. He came into the world. 
lived under the law, kept it to perfection because we couldn't. He died, rose from the dead, ascended back into heaven, and he said, I've done it. And he left the gospel in the world. And this is what he said. Anyone who believes that will have eternal salvation forever. Not anyone who repents. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever... But too long the church has said, for whosoever repents, you can't repent. There's nothing in you. God's got to do it all. What must I do to be saved? Very important question. The Apostle Paul was on the line. You better answer correctly, Paul. You better get your doctrine right. This is an eternal soul right here. What do I do to be saved? This is it. What? Believe. Come on, somebody say amen here. That's too easy, eh? Of course it is. But it's not cheap. It may be free, but it's not cheap. Jesus paid the price for every single one of our sins and sicknesses. And he left it in the world. And here I was. I I saw this, Dave, when you were preaching this. And I saw this uh, like in a flash. Here I was. I was was 19 year old. I'm in a rock band in the 60s. I was a sex symbol in the 60s. That was a muted laugh, wasn't it? I will not repeat what my PA just said. I, believe it or not, women used to scream my name. <laughs> they, st- <laughs> they still do, but for the wrong reasons. But anyway, listen now. So, I had, a woman, I had a woman come in here when I was pastoring here, right? Ray, Ray, Ray. I thought, oh, God. <laughs> and she was waving something in her hand. It's just, I'm not preaching now, I'm telling you the truth. She's, wave, wave, she's waving something. Ray, Ray. I said, hello, bless you, my child. She said, I got a piece of your shirt from the 60s. <laughs> I'm deadly serious. She said, I ripped it off you to the top rank in Swansea. <laughs> and here you are, reverend. You ran, well, she said a few things. So anyway, so the... Wait, this is real, this is church. You know what I'm saying? So I was, a, let's just, okay, I'll just say I was a rock singer in the 60s, okay? I mean, I, right, I, I didn't have any, but you see, I was, I, I, I relate to the Star Trek thing. Yeah, smoke another joint, go to another party, get another relationship. Well, why is it then I did all that and I go home at night still flipping empty inside then? Then I, my mother would send me off to Sunday school with the flannel graphs. Anybody know what a flannel graph is? Please raise your hand. Two people over 90. That's fantastic. Well, anyway, <laughs> flannel graphs. Flannel graphs is when they used to tell you Bible stories and stick things on a, like a flannel. I thought Jonah watched TV in the whale. They are these storybooks. They are these storybooks. Jonah and the whale. And he's sitting there with a table watching TV. I thought this, what? He was up to his neck in digestive juices. He wasn't flipping watching TV. But I had all that. That's all I had with the gospel. I, 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 
I have it vaguely presented to me. But I thought, nah, that's not. And then one day, a film came to our village. A cinema film. Once a month came to Resolvan. A film came to the cinema. It was a big event. The greatest story ever told. I thought it was a western. It's a film about the birth, life, and the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Classic. I thought it was a Western. I go, paid my money, go in there. Now I've got the Jesus stuff. What? I want my money back. Where's Clint Eastwood? I was really miffed, right? But I thought I paid my money, so I'm I'm sitting there, watch this. I'm sitting there, and I start watching this man act out the life of Jesus. What I didn't know is that the Holy Ghost was about to ambush me. Like he's about to do to you today. And I started, I started, I, th- I thought, look at the, this, what? The, you know, this man, Jesus, I, I was, I thought he was like some, like old guy with like boring, nothing boring about this guy in the film. He, he come, I watched him, uh, there was a blind guy that needed healing. Uh, and he said, do you want to get healed? Yes. Take a load of that then. <laughs> Spat in his face. I thought, come on. Come on. And then, and then this guy, this guy died, Lazarus, right? He died uh, and they put him in a tomb. I'm thinking, and then Jesus turns up on the fourth day. He's in the tomb by a big stone, right? I'm watching this. I thought, what? This is nuts. This is, right? I thought, you know what I mean? So he's, Lazarus, he'd been dead in there. And Jesus, everybody's crying. And then Jesus comes and says, roll the stone away. I thought, flipping heck. He's not going there, is he? You got to, I'm trying to explain to you how I felt. Lazarus! Now I understand why you had to name him. Because if he had said, dead person! Every dead person within the, it would have been a precursor of Michael Jackson's thriller. Do you know what I'm saying? Da-da! Every dead person within the sound of his voice would be resurrected because he is the resurrection and he is the life. And when Jesus speaks, death has to come on, somebody say amen. I'm in the cinema. Imagine, watch, watch. I'm hearing this. I'm hearing this. I'm so glad the Holy Ghost goes to the pictures. You've got more guts than Christians sometimes. He'll go anywhere where Jesus is lifted up. So right there and then and then they kill him. I'm angry now. I thought, I thought I, either this guy is an absolute lunatic. He's saying things like, I'm the only way to God. I'm the end of your search. Come unto me. Either he's crazy or it's true. And right there in the cinema, the Holy Ghost began to show me, Ray, this is the end. He is the end of your search. And right there. So I'm in the cinema. They're killing him. And I'm angry. I'm thinking, go. Said, what? He's only helped you and blessed you and healed you. Why are you killing him now? 
to kill him. Then they put him in a tomb, put a rock, and they put guards outside. I thought, give me a flipping break. Guy's dead. Guards outside. Flipping masochists. Then I'm getting ready to go home. Sad end of story. But then on the third day, the film kept going. And on the third day, some angels came around, these flipping big, not little babies in napkins, these, these incredible, these, these, come on, you see these angels, little napkins? No, man, they are mighty, they're powerful. I mean, and, and, they, and they kicked that stone away, and Jesus was not there. He was risen from the dead. And do you know what I said? Do you know what I said? This is what I was saying. Do a clint on them. When he was dying, you know when Clint Eastwood, you know, when they beat him up, right? All the baddies, they take him outside the town. I mean, no one can survive that. 6,000 guys just beat him up, Clint. And he's out there for three days, and all the baddies are in the, in the saloon. We sorted him out. Hey, but about three days later, yeah, Clint comes into town. The, the, the door swings open, and you hear this. And there he is. <laughs> there he is and he kills a lot of them I said come on Jesus do a Clint and when he ro- I'm in the cinema and he rose from the dead I thought he's going to do it but he didn't he says hey guys because I live you can live also all you have to do is believe come on somebody say amen Oh, no, I thought you were there. I don't want to mess my quarter. I've cost me 150 quid. Right. I believed. I didn't repent. I believed. I thought, yeah. Now I'm in the world, but I'm connected to another one. So I start serving Jesus. I'm loving it. Watch. I'm a Christian, and then I malfunction. A sin. And I get up, and because I've sat under legalistic teaching, I say, well, Jesus, I had to go. I did my best, Jesus. And I decide to walk away. No, you've got to hold it now, no. No, not that tight, Noel. <laughs> no, no, Noel, you're giving me a hernia now. Right, so <laughs> you go. <ahead. laughs> so I decide, watch, I decide as a Christian to walk away. I've sinned. The roosters crowed. I'm weeping bitterly. I that's it. But that's when I suddenly realize nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Come on, I want you to give Jesus a big clap right here. Amen. That is not a clap. Come on, I want you to give Jesus. Get on your feet and I want you to give the musicians get up here. Somebody give him praise in the house right here. Just look at me right now. Stay standing. Just look at me right now. Have you been blessed with the word? Have you been washed with the word right here? This is the message the church 
needs to hear. You know why? Because if you don't hear it, and if you don't experience it, if you don't come to the end of yourself and realize it's not about you, if, if you don't understand, Jesus blesses you, watch, in spite of you. Then we're never going to win the lost. Because we'll always be preaching, repent, repent, repent. Now the Newport's been forgiven. They just don't know it yet. Holy Spirit, I thank you for helping me today to minister your word. I thank you for every single person in this house. The rooster has crowed for many. And they've just tried to walk away from you because they feel they, they just don't deserve your love and the, your grace. But they can't go anywhere. Lord, I remember saying to you, I remember saying to you, Lord, I'm finished. And you spoke straight back saying, I'm not. I remember saying to you, Lord, I give up. And I remember you saying to me immediately, I don't. So right now, if the rooster has crowed for you and, and something the Holy Ghost has said, you're coming home. You're coming home. Like Jesus prepared breakfast for Peter on a beach to restore him. This is the beach. He's been waiting for you here before you kept for the marathon started. He was sitting on the stage here waiting for you to come in. So if this message has been relevant to you and you want me to pray a very simple prayer, just raise your right hand where you are right now. Just raise your right hand where you are. Father, in the name of Jesus, there are many who are raising their hands right now all over the building. Some uh, may be thinking about this, but Lord, they know the message is relevant. Right now, thank you. Give them a revelation of the fact it's not about their love, it's not about their faithfulness, but it's about yours. We love you. Can we sing that song, the last one we sang before? Yeah. And I'm going to hand back to Pastor Dave. And um, have you enjoyed the word this morning, everybody? Can we give him praise right here? Now watch this, watch this. Please come back tonight. Please come back tonight. God is speaking to us. God, Dave and I, we spent hours together. Listen, this is not a game. This is not a social club. But God is speaking to this church and churches in Wales very specifically now. And I'm going to be talking about how... Do you know what the Lord said to me? This is the problem with the, with the church in Wales. What started as a river has ended up as a canal. And this is what he said to me. Ray, do not allow anyone or anything to turn the river into you, in you into a canal. And I'm going to be sharing tonight some of the things that can threaten to turn the river into a canal. You need to get here. We're going to pray. Thank you, Jesus. We give you, give the Lord praise. Dave.